Last week, some of the most expected earning results were revealed. Meta missed on the top and bottom lines and gave a troubling forecast for the third quarter. YouTube and Microsoft also failed to meet their forecast, but Google Search surpassed expectations. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market. And this is In Camera Podcast, where we focus on active users above any other metric. Good, how are you, Leo? I'm good, Grace. I'm struggling a little bit here. You know, while a couple of weeks ago I was very complimentary about Squadcast's new interface and stuff, right now I'm having some issues and complaints with it. So quite honestly, their user experience, just something to think about. They went on to to put the leave session and the record session with the same tone, which why would they do that, right? Why would they do that? It's confusing for distracted users like me. When they want to actually start recording their episode, they may by mistake go to the other red button, which is leave the session, which is what I just did now. So, you know, these small things, but it's a good lesson in UX because honestly, you know, you want to make sure that you're not confusing your users with different CTA, CTAs that are completely opposite to each other, them having the same color. Now, Grace, I also owe an apology to the audience because last week's episode, my audio was so bad. I mean, I can imagine it must have been painful for those who did venture into listening the whole episode with me sounding as if I was in a distant Zoom Zoom call. But again, I, I could not not publish the episode. It being so full of insights, primarily from you with regards to conclusion. So, you know, my apologies. And I think I took the right step steps this time to make sure that audio quality is not going to be an issue. So with all of those things having been said, how are you? How's your week going? I'm doing well. My week is going pretty well. It's a lot of new content, a lot of information that we're posting currently across the board. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just a different thing. So, so far, so good this week. You know, I think that we have a lot of new things kind of coming up and we'll talk about them as we go along here. But at the moment, there there do, there does seem to be kind of a resurgence on some of these mass torts, I have to say. Right. And you were just mentioning, uh, I would say, fair to call it emerging mass tort because it doesn't sound like from what you've said that it's brand, brand new, but it seems like it's worth being talked about and paying attention to it. So we'll get to it in just one moment. But first things first. So it's end of July. And as expected, companies have been releasing their Q2 results throughout the, the second half of the month. And this week's been a, it's been a big one because we have all the biggest tech companies reporting on their Q2s. And Grace, uh, you know, this shouldn't come as a surprise, but guess who's up? Google ad revenue is up. So always Google, right? Always Google. So last year they were 50.4 billions. This quarter, now they're 56.3 billion. 
So obviously they're doing good. And as an extension of Google, YouTube is doing also very good. They had a 5% increase. They went from 7 billion in 2021 to 7.3 billion, but it actually fell short to what the predictions were of 7.5 billion. And then we have LinkedIn, which LinkedIn had an increase in revenue. They were 26%. And it's apparently good for them. Why? Because Microsoft as a whole is not looking good. Microsoft actually had a drop of about 100 million. But I think things are going to be changing for Microsoft very soon, particularly now that they've partnered with Netflix for their ad product. And so definitely that's going to change entirely the whole scene for them. But I think it still puts them, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not big enough for it to make them competitive with with a bigger player, which in this case, it's, it's going to be Google. And so what can we learn out of this call? Well, it sounds like YouTube shorts, right? And for those who do not know what shorts are, are kind of like the answer of YouTube to vertical video, primarily the type of video that gained a lot of popularity through platforms like TikTok, is actually gaining some momentum. It was reported that over 1.5 billion signing users per month have actually watched this type of video. And there is over 30 billion daily views of content that comes from the shorts section in YouTube. That's quite significant. Overall, they've also reported that they have surpassed 5 million subscribers for this particular platform. And apparently they're also announcing a partnership with Spotify, sorry, with Shopify, so that it just makes it easier for users to be able to share products and such through this type of video and, you know, allow them to access those. So really interesting stuff. Okay, so from Google, what we can learn is that Performance Max is kind of like their prodigy child. They're so proud of it and they're pushing it so hard, Grace. And you know what? It's actually noticing, showing, showing results because they're actually 5x year to day in adoption. So people are actually trying out, to say the least, the campaign. And what is not necessarily being reported, though, is that if those 5x increase in new campaigns include accounts that have been automatically transitioned from things like smart shopping into performance max campaigns, because you need to remember that, as we've mentioned before, local ads will also transition to performance max eventually and such. So it's like a little bit funny that they report the growth, but you're not quite sure whether that is growth that they actually forced users into shifting their strategies to that or not. But obviously we know here that Google really, really wants performance max to succeed and to be kind of like the future of the platform but as we've mentioned here time and time and again it has a lot of room for improvement so that's just kind of like a quick rundown of things that could be of interest about the q2 earnings that were reported actually just today so grace any comments on this yeah, especially on the performance max. I think that's hilarious because you're you're a thousand percent right. I mean, we all know that if you got forced into it, it's not like it's exactly a five x truth, 
right? So the other question that I always have is, you know, while it's increased use of 5X, has that in turn increased people's conversions or anything by 5X as well? Or is it just funding them? <laughs> so it's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a very interesting number. Statistics to me, you know, while I love them because they can give you a good idea of certain things at the same time, it's what's the sample that you're talking about and are those numbers really relevant to you? In this case, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, the fact that they grew 5X in performance max usage, we we know what that means. Yeah. That doesn't mean much yeah. to me. But at the same time, it is good to know because they are forcing it and they are pushing it. And everyone at some point is going to have to be on performance max, kind of whether you like it or not, truthfully. Yeah. And so just also to give a little bit more of, con of context, because we're here obviously focused on the ad revenue. But when you look at all of Alphabet's Q2 reports and Microsoft's Q4, because for Microsoft is Q4 that they are reporting, both were fell short in projections, right? So even though ad revenue is doing good, primarily for Google, that doesn't mean that Alphabet as a whole hit their targets. And of course, there's several factors that they're alluding to when it comes down to this, such as the, the war in Ukraine, supply chain issues, and obviously the economic uncertainty, the whole idea of a possible recession is obviously generating a lot of fear up to a certain extent. So these things reflected in the overall numbers. But the one thing that we continue to see is that advertisers strong standing when it comes down to retaining market share and continuing promoting their brands, their services, and so forth and so on. And as we've said time and time and again, if you're in position of doing so, you should also take that same approach. So yeah, good, good, just, you know, a way to start off the call with this. Uh, worth mentioning also that all companies are reporting tremendous earnings over this past week. Car manufacturers here in the United States also tremendous results. And so, you know, let's shift gears and talk about another Google update that I don't think we really have talked about here before. We probably mentioned it at some point, and that was the transition of Google My Business, as we all are used to probably still calling your listing in Google. So Google My Business official name has changed and it's now Google Business Profile. So Grace, can you give us a little explanation as to what does this mean? What has changed? And do we really need to do anything about it at this point? So yeah, I'll start with um kind of what the change is. I mean, for those of you that are listen to our podcast or really know anything about Google, you know, Google My Business, which is now Google Business Profiles, had its own kind of settings and certain things that you could do through different parts of Google My Business as its own section within Google. Now, with it being part of what they call the, the Google Business Profile, you they make it a little easier for you to be able to edit the things through the map. So if you have obviously access as an owner, administrator, or something like that, when you pull up the profile on the website on Google, you can actually edit right from that screen. And you had those options kind of before, but I'd say with this change or shift, they're trying to make it even easier, how we were talking about the UI, right, or UX experience. They're trying to make it easier for the business owner or business manager of that profile to update things because that's what Google does, right? They want the user experience to be the best possible every time. And that includes 
you as a business and you're not now your Google business profile instead of my business, um, giving you the opportunity or option to edit it from different ways that instead of locking you into having to log in here or log in there, you pull it up on the map and you can edit right from there. I actually just did that recently this week. So it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this this week, considering that Google business profiles has, it does, it didn't drastically change, but it did change enough that you would notice if you go into the Google business profile now, you know, the way that the location codes and the store codes and the, 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 the way that your locations are listed even looks slightly different. And they're trying to give you, and I'd like your input on this, obviously, Leo, but I feel like they're trying to give you more at your fingertips and at a glance than before. So, Grace, I think what Google is doing here is it's strategizing to create their Maps app its own search engine, right? Mm. They're trying for it to become more of a place where people are actually going to search for local businesses. And so by actually merging the Google My Business product into the actual Maps they are initiating this transition starting with the business owners, right? And so owners paying more attention into maps, maps becomes more of a relevant type of venue to be visible. And so obviously there's the review side of things, but then there's performance max. Performance max is heavily influenced by proximity and by impressions in maps as well. And I think what Google is trying to do here is to a little bit change the mindset of users around the app, the map app, and make it more user-friendly and more helpful to find local businesses for whatever it is that they need. So rather than going to Google and searching there and then the Google sending them to the local park, or if they're on a mobile device, opening their map app, to give them more information about a business, it actually does it in a slightly more seamless way. Now, through enabling users to just have a better experience overall with local search, doing it through the Maps app. And from the management side of things of your profile, I think, you know, Grace, it makes sense. It, it's not like they removed functionality and I haven't really deep into what's the, how's the, the map navigation of a business profile compared to what you've had to do in the Google My Business, to the access and the different things that you could do through the actual Google My Business profile. But I will tell you that a couple of times already in the past a couple of weeks, I've received notifications from the Maps app, you know, whether it's been new questions that we've received from people that have visited our profile and such. And so it certainly make it, makes it more dynamic, right? And the, and, and the fact that you can just go right into the, the Maps app and you don't necessarily need to have the Google My Business app, which let's face it, a lot of business owners, they did not have the Google My Business app downloaded into their mobile devices and therefore they were being limited to being able to interact with their listing when they were on the go. And so now, because most of people, I mean, honestly, most of people have the Maps app in their mobile devices because they use it for navigation. And now they can also use it for more things, which is managing their business profile. And again, so I think this is just a smart move of just Google playing strengths and they know they have a very strong map product and they're just merging it in a more close proximity to their listings service. 
And I think it's a good move. I think it makes sense. I think it will benefit users. And I think it will also create more opportunity for local businesses to be able to leverage Google as a platform to be discovered by potential new clients. So I, I do like it. And, you know, like any any new transition like this, there's probably going to be uh, opportunities and some getting used to some of the changes. But as a whole, I think it's been a very, very seamless process. And you know that it's been seamless because it hasn't made, created a lot of noise. You don't hear people complaining about it. You don't necessarily hear users complaining about it. So, you know, this is being spot on yeah i I actually think that like you said that's that's a really good indicator right that nobody's complaining and you don't hear all these reddit posts everywhere that say how horrible the changes have been and i honestly i felt the opposite i felt like it was a normal and almost organic change because i started noticing a lot of those things after we initially talked about it and then i really noticed it this week because i was doing some location updates and it does inform you. I mean, just about anybody on maps and search can actually update your profile. And it, they, you know, Google gives you a certain amount of time to uh, approve or accept and, and even reject the changes or suggested improvements to your hours, as an example, you know, things like that, let's say your restaurant, even your menu items, sometimes they can update. So it's it's really good idea to check your Google profile. And really, you know, even look on your phone and search for your 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 place on line, right on maps and see what it looks like, you know, and what that looks like to other people, because you will, hopefully, if you're logged in, not logged in necessarily, but if you are part of Google profile, which you should be, (laughs) if you're not do it now, please, you should be getting notifications as to people that are now suggesting updates or edits, if that happens, because we did, you know, they were suggesting updates to the hours, they were suggesting updates to certain phone numbers to provide more phone numbers and things of that nature. So yeah, I do like to get Google business profile changes and I feel like it's actually for the better, you know, whereas sometimes it not always is, but Google strives to do the best that it can for the users. And I feel like they succeeded pretty well on this one. Yeah, totally Grace. So Grace, let's get into the last piece of this conversation, which was a master you were just telling me about before we initiated the, in the recording session. So, Set the scene here, please. Oh, so this one's kind of sad. I mean, all of the mass torts are really sad. Oh, yeah. But anything having to do with the the weakest and the people that can't take, protect themselves is always kind of a gut check, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where this one's coming from. So this one is an alleged case, obviously, just like every other one. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but I will always put a disclaimer on that it's alleged until there's, you know, the... Uh, the mass tort litigation goes through and all that. But this new one has to do with Tylenol, acetaminophen. It could be brand name or it could be, at, for now, it could be brand name or it could be the generic acetaminophen. They are claiming that if pregnant women took it while they were, again, pregnant, the child in utero was being affected. So that when the child is born, they are being born with developmental disabilities ranging from autism, ADHD, ADHD, and other similar types of behavioral disorders. You know, it's, it's a significant, you know, blow, I would say to, you know, to this community, obviously, because people that, you know, women are in pain and and they need something that can help them when they're pregnant. And so thinking that, 
acetaminophen or Tylenol is safe when you are pregnant and finding out later that it actually harmed your baby and your baby now has a developmental disability because of it. It's a, you know, pretty hard pill to swallow, <laughs> pun intended in this case. <laughs> I mean, where are we in the stage of this potential mass storage? Is it, has it materialized as such? Is it still so getting? In 2019, there was an initial study done, right? So this is, I would call this, like you said at the beginning, more of an emerging tort. Scientists kind of have been talking about this for for a decent amount of time now, maybe a couple of years on, on how it medication, but this one in particular, obviously during pregnancy can affect the child. And so where, where this one is, is they are going to spend quite a bit of time. It being Johnson and Johnson, so there's going to be a lot of time between this and when they're going to be able to bring it to what they call the Darbert, Daubert or Fry standard, right? Mm -hmm. For it to become a, a, an MDL or for it to become a mass tort, it has to pass the Daubert or Fry standard. They call it different things in different states, but it basically is linking, having enough proof to link the injury to, in this case, the drug. So they're currently going through the research. They are going to be going through what they call science days and things of that nature to figure out if there's enough causal link between what's happening and this actual drug. So it is very loose at the moment, but there is to believe that there is a causal link, right? So, you know, it, it, it's hard for me sometimes when I talk about these things, especially when I talk about them, when it has to do with babies, you know, it, it like I, I pause yeah, a lot, course, you know, and yeah, you know, I, it really hurts me and I'm sure it hurts all, everybody we that hears this when it has to do with children. Yeah, so it is it's sad. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, again, they're just, they're, they're taking in claims. There have been client adverse action reports filed with the FDA. And that's, you know, for those of you that know, or have listened to some of our previous podcasts, that's kind of where it starts right, is where people are telling the FDA that there's a problem or it, it really depends on what it is, if it's a product like a device or a drug. But a lot of times with drugs like this, it has to do with the Federal Drug Administration being reported to and being told that there's a lot of people getting harmed by a particular drug. So that's really where this one kind of started and figuring out the link is where they have to go next. All right, Grace. Well, I guess for this one, we'll just have to keep our eyes open and see how things continue to evolve. And just remember, just as we've said on the last conversation, right? If if this is something that calls you, this is something that you see as something you'd want to get involved or not. This is a time. These these stages are when there's a lot of opportunity to create content to become noticeable without necessarily having to start spending big dollars in advertising. And so this could be an opportunity for some, but as with everything with Masters, it, it's a waiting game. You, you cannot speed up always things and you need to let them run their course and you need to be ready for blows because it's usually not necessarily straightforward, smooth sailing. So it sounds like this is going to be an uphill climb, 
but you it, it know, usually most importantly, usually yeah, is. hopefully it will it will yield good results and justice for those who deserve it. Great. I have one update. I actually found it. Um, mm -hmm. I should have seen, said this at the beginning, but on June 10th, 2022, a motion was filed to centralize all the Tylenol autism ADHD lawsuits. They originally have just five days to respond, the defendants, yeah. but they requested an extension and they now okay. have an extension until three days ago, July 26th. So mm. yeah, on the next one, I will definitely let you know what I can locate in terms of the actual litigation update, if it came together or if they requested it a further extension. All right. Well, that's big news. And yeah, certainly that will change the scope of things quite a bit. So looking forward to hearing news and updates on that. So Grace, let's bring this down to takeaways because it's been a very diverse conversation covering all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure we can pick up three that are good, actionable things to consider. So I would say so, for me, the first one has to do with the performance max. I know that we've kind of dabbled in it, talked about it in a few mm -hmm. other podcasts as well. I'd say, you know, definitely take a look at what it's doing or not doing and, you know, poke around some because as Liel said near the beginning of this, local service ads are going to go the way of Performance Max. So I would say it would be pretty important for you or your marketing team to understand what Performance Max is and what the differences are between that and what it, whatever it is you're currently running. Yeah, really good one, Grace. I, I'm going to um, do takeaway number two and stay within the digital marketing pay-per-click space. And I think you need to look at Q2 results and really assess where the opportunities are. And one area that we really didn't talk about during this episode, but it's very important to acknowledge, is that book ads reported not great results and their ad revenues dropped. And what this tells you, Grace, is there is an opportunity there. Why is there an opportunity there? Because when you zoom out and you look at the whole numbers, you will see that there has actually been more users logging in to, peep, to Facebook on a daily basis. They're now averaging at one point, well, almost 2 billion people logging into Facebook every day, active users, right? And so this is really, really important to acknowledge because while Facebook as a way of running as a platform that allowed you to run very highly targeted ads may no longer be as effective as it was, Facebook is still a great platform to just get in front of your market, right? And I think people are just getting confused about how much they need to segment their audiences for them to actually see return on investment. And you need to remember as a law firm, particularly as a consumer focused law firm, certainly, yeah, if you can use some insights, some information to segment your audience, such as language, such as geographical location and such, that's wonderful, leverage that, but don't get too obsessed about having to reach particular people with very specific interests and so forth and so on. Because at the end of the day, there is no way, not even doing that, you cannot necessarily predict exactly who's going to be in need of your services the day of tomorrow. So eyeballs watching your ads, people hearing what you have to say, that's good. 
that's actually already a good use of your marketing budget. Of course, you want to do this in a clever way, but look where the opportunity is. By no means, Facebook has become a less relevant place to advertise in anything. It has just become a more affordable platform to be because there's less competition, it's less saturated. And the fact that the number of active users has not gone down just tells you that people are still there. So again, you know, do not misread the, the results here. That's my takeaway number two, Grace. We have room for one more. I always say this, and you know I do, and I can't help myself. I'll say it again. Diversify yourself if you're a mass torts. You know, never stick to one tort because, as you can see, it could change from one second to the next, as we saw with talcum powder going into bankruptcy and 3M now going into bankruptcy. So if that's the pattern, I would say, please always make sure you diversify yourselves around different mass torts because you never know at what point it could either happen or not happen, right? And that, that means all kinds of things if you understand mass torts and what we've talked about on this podcast. So just make sure that whatever you do, you diversify your, your practice areas. And that's not just mass torts, right? If you can't, yeah. obviously, if you can't, if, if it's something that makes sense to you, your business, your practices, do it. Yeah. And, and not to, you know, overstep here, but if I understand correctly, you know, sometimes that these companies file for bankruptcy, it doesn't mean that everything is lost, right? Sometimes they file for bankruptcy not to have to spend as much as they would potentially have to spend if they were trying to continue running business as normal, but they file bankruptcy, but they still need to, to pay out, right? Correct. Correct. A bankruptcy court has its own sets of rules and regulations, and so that's why they pushed it to bankruptcy, bankruptcy court so they could limit their exposure mm -hmm. to compensation. Yeah, because as, as you're saying it, you know, Boy Scouts come to mind and, and they're, exactly. they're filed for bankruptcy, but still there was a way to get some compensation for the victims. They so, essentially create you know. a fund that you can then yeah. pay out from. You know, that's kind of what Camp Lejeune is going to be very similar to the 9-11 fund that was created. So it's, you know, along the same kind of path. When you have a bankruptcy, you have a fund that has to be drawn from. And once it's out, it's out. Got it, Grace. Well, thank you again for another great, very educational conversation. And we'll be back next week. Next week it is, Leah. Thank you. All right. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe. Tell your co-workers leave us a review and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week.